Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 54, we debate how Major League Soccer TV ratings can improve without promotion relegation. Uh, which final got almost 5 million viewers on TV last week? More hints about Fox's World Cup coverage. Our thoughts on the TV coverage of the Major League Soccer Cup final. As well as how, how the U.S. crashing out of the World Cup qualifying may have a big impact throughout Fox Sports. And that's not just the soccer side of the business. Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, are you ready for the, uh, the holiday festive period in terms of uh, all the football that's in store? Yeah, I'm having enough of uh, a hard time keeping up with these midweek fixture dates when we've got full uh, uh, 10 fixtures in, in uh, Premier League and La Liga, uh, not, uh, nine in, in Bundesliga. So I'm not sure. I, I, I will try. Um, of course, during the festive period, we only have one league to follow. So that's um, – or one top division to follow, and then you can watch a lot of championship in League 1 and League 2 matches as well. So uh, perhaps I am. But uh, the midweek games have been, uh, have been difficult. Yeah, it'll be interesting too because like next week we, we've got uh, League Cup games. So your Manchester City is in the quarterfinal as well as you mean uh, a few other sides. And then there's also the uh, DFB Pokal uh, German Cup. Then you've got uh, Coupe de la Ligue, which is the French uh, Cup. And I think Serie A is playing. I'm not sure if they're playing through the winter break this time, or they've definitely got ma- matches going on for the next week or two. So actually, it's going to be more matches than usual. Plus, uh, on top of that, too, there's uh, some FA Cup games. I think uh, I think this weekend on Fox in the I think uh, what was it? The, probably the fourth round. Uh, or second round, perhaps. Uh, and in addition to that, Kartik, of course, there's all the politics going on in U.S. soccer. So it's going to be a very busy uh, festive period. I'm looking forward to it. This is going to be our, our last episode before the holidays, uh, and uh, we'll come back uh, strong in January. So, so we definitely want to wish uh, all of our listeners a uh, happy holidays and, and thank you for listening. But on that note, Kartik, let's dive into uh, what we've been watching this past week. Uh, how about you start? Yeah, so um, 
the Stuttgart Leverkusen game, uh, which was a Friday game on FS1, a familiar voice, uh, which was that of Steve Bauer. So Fox, we know that they have the option to use the international feed, to use the BT Sports feed when BT Sport is broadcasting a game uh, in the UK or uh, use their own announcers calling uh, matches from the studio in Los Angeles. And in this case, they used the BT Sports feed. So uh, Steve Bauer makes an appearance on FS1, which gives him the John Champion trifecta of NBC, uh, ESPN, and FS1. Remember, he uh, um, uh, went to NBC for, uh, excuse me, went to um, uh, ESPN for the Euros in 2016 and has been a consistent uh, presence in one form or another on NBC's Premier League coverage uh, since they began. And, uh, covering the league in 2013. Yeah, that was a pleasant surprise, actually, uh, tuning in to listen to Steve Bauer ca- calling it. And it just shows how versatile he is. I mean, he can do a presenter role, which he's done for NBC Sports in the past, uh, I think covering for Rebecca Lowe. He can do a analyst, as we see oftentimes uh, each week, uh, live from the BBC Sports uh, studios in Manchester, uh, as well as the sideline reporter. Uh, we've seen him as, a, as a, also a pitch side presenter, I think one of the days when uh, Arlo wasn't available to do pitch side. And, um, yeah, I, he covers all bases, really. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely somebody that um, – actually, the, the commentator, the lead commentator role, I haven't heard of him as much. But it was a pleasant surprise and, uh, and a great match, too, on, on top of it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and the Bundesliga is becoming very, very interesting because with the exception of Cologne, who's been cut adrift, uh, the other, uh, I think, teams two through 17 are very competitive with one another. Uh, so you've got a situation where Stuttgart now is very, very tough to beat at home. You've got a situation where uh, Werder Bremen can beat anyone on any given day. They've been in the uh, in the relegation zone. So it's, it's going to be an exciting rest of the Bundesliga season. Uh, for Fox, unfortunately, they also have a title race that's already been decided. Last season, at this point, it was artificially close between Leipzig and and Bayern. In fact, if you remember, Leipzig went into the winter break with an opportunity to finish ahead, uh, to be ahead of Bayern and get that unofficial half season title that that we know um, the media in Germany likes to talk about. And they lost that game to Bayern uh, right before the winter break. Uh, this season, no such uh, race. Uh, the, the the title race is already done and dusted. Yeah, in some ways, though, it does make it more interesting for the clubs below Bayern Munich. I mean, in terms of uh, Dortmund uh, hitting a rough patch, I mean, for several, well, a couple of months now. Um, and Schalke doing well, Leverkusen doing better. I mean, so it, it, there's definitely some intrigue. Uh, for me personally, I've watched more Bundesliga this season than I've ever done in the past before. And it just, for me, it's just, it's... Uh, very accessible uh, in many ways. I mean, I have NBC Sports Gold, so I could always switch to that to watch the Premier League games. But with so many games on FS2 and FS1, it's just an easy, e- easy to get to, but also enjoyable to watch also too. So, um, yeah, it, it's been fantastic. Yeah, and I, I agree, and I've watched more of this league of the season probably than any year since. Um, there was one season, I think it was either 06, 07, or 07, 08. It was 07, 08, where I watched the Bundesliga probably as much as I watched the Premier League. Um, at the time, Goal TV was in a lot of homes, and as... Gold TV's distribution began to dry up. The Bundesliga uh, became more and more obscure on American television. But that was a that was a good season. Um, that was the year. Yeah, that was the year where Luca Toni and Frank Ribery went to um, 
went to Bayern and kind of transformed Bayern's playing style. And you and I visited Goal TV that year, uh, actually, our first uh, uh, on-site visit with a, with a uh, uh, broadcast entity. So that was exciting. And I think that also kind of stimulated my interest in Bundesliga that year, but definitely watched more of it this season than uh, any time in the last you know, eight years or nine years. Um, Saturday morning, we had West Ham-Chelsea. That was a, uh, a good game. It was... Um, I suppose I, I don't know whether to be surprised or not because it seems like when Chelsea plays teams that are uh, near the bottom of the table, they have more trouble than with the rest of the league. So um, at times, Chelsea has looked this season like a team that uh, can beat anyone uh, and, and, and plays with with a confidence and a swagger. This was the type of match where I was screaming out for Diego Costa because in a, in a match where you're not at the, at the races and you're learning out of ideas in the final third, you could count on Costa to, to scrap, right. To, to, to um, initiate something, whether it was playing mind games with the opposition defense, whether it was just being very physical or whether it was just popping up and, and getting a goal. Um, they seem to have less fight in some of these matches without Costa. So that, that would be my observation of that. Uh, watch Leicester City later in the day. They looked, uh, they looked very, very good, um, as they have under Claude Puel uh, since he took over. Uh, accomplished manager at Leon. Uh, for whatever reason, it didn't work out at Southampton. Uh, although, if you look... If you think now where Southampton is now, and and remember they finished eighth under Puel and they got to a League Cup final, maybe it was just a very short-sighted decision by the Southampton board, or there was something else going on uh, behind the scenes there. But uh, uh, doing wonderfully well with Leicester City, um, MLS Cup. Let's let's talk about this, Chris. So yep. um, within ten minutes of the broadcast starting at 4.05 p.m. Eastern time, started a little late because the Indiana-Louisville uh, college basketball game ran about five minutes late. Max Bredos, Casey Keller, uh, Ali Moreno, Julie Stewart-Binks, they had already, I think, blown out of the water Fox's coverage from last year. And I know some people are going to say, oh, he just hates Fox, blah, blah, blah. But it was, it was not just the... Um, analysis and the the savvy of the presenter, in this case being uh, uh, Max Bredos uh, versus Rob Stone last year, but also the music played coming into the match, the graphics, uh, the uh, the outtakes, the presentation format uh, in the in that first ten minutes uh, of previewing the game, very polished, very professional. Crisp production, not over the top, not loud music, not loud graphics, not hyperbole about the game, about the match. And uh, it was done very well. Then you obviously get to the broadcast with Healy and Twelman, um, which was outstanding. Uh, Twelman was in, in, in good form, as he always is. Uh, it normally is. I mean, I, everybody has off days, but um, he was in good form for, for, for the title game. Uh, the first half was scintillating. I thought, um, uh, well, okay, it wasn't scintillating. There was one, one team that was very, very good and one team that was very, very bad. But um, as we are now trained to do when we watch uh, uh, Barcelona or Manchester City or Bayern or whoever, uh, Chelsea last season, we sometimes just focus on how entertaining that better team was. And uh, Toronto... Uh, for you MLS haters out there who talk about how poor the league is and how low the level of the league is and anybody who plays an MLS shouldn't be on the U.S. men's national team, I hope you watched this game. You probably didn't. But um, the first half, you saw 
how um, how well one a uh, a team uh, in MLS can play moving the ball and with their movement off the ball. And secondly, and this is important because uh, we've had all kinds of false starts with the U.S. Uh, between the Klinsman years and the uh, arena, uh, uh, the brief in arena tenure, uh, second arena tenure, trying to play a diamond uh, formation in midfield and not figuring out how to use Michael Bradley in that diamond. Uh, uh, Greg Vandy figured it out, and I thought Bradley was brilliant. I think him and Vasquez were the two best players on the pitch. Uh, it, it really made me think again, and I'm, I tend to be a Michael Bradley defender, so in fairness, I'll say this, but Chris, it made me think again, all of the piling on by U.S. men's national team fans, a lot of them who don't view things in context, don't watch a lot of football other than the U.S. men's national team, maybe don't understand tactics as well as some other uh, seasoned observers of the sport, uh, how Bradley not having a central midfield partner who could do a lot of running uh, or, or just play ni- uh, good balls and make the right runs, like Vasquez, how much that held him back when the U.S. tried to play in a diamond uh, if, in in, in uh, the national team, and also uh, in terms of when the U.S. would just play in a in a three five two or four 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 two or four five one, how limited the the partnerships were with Bradley to where he had to be Patrick Vieira and Zinedine Zidane, uh, not one or the other, right? right? Or you know, just as an example. Yes, that's a great point. Or, or Yaya Torre. You know I mean that that's right, a, right, right, right. And that's the thing, though, too, for the U.S. men's national team. That was, there's been so many games where Bradley has been disappointing. But you're right, Kartik, that in terms of the tactically, um, I mean, ha- not having somebody to pair up with him well. Uh, I mean, Beckerman in, in the past was that person at times. But uh, with Toronto, I, I thought Toronto, I, I watched the game too, Kartik. I was a, really- a lot of this, I should point out, sorry, Chris, to cut you off, but a lot of this is post-Beckerman and Jermaine Jones getting to a certain age. A lot of this analysis of Bradley's limitations. So I think it worked when he had Beckerman uh, and Jones playing with him, actually. And this formation worked uh, at times when he had those two guys playing with him. But continue. Yeah, yeah. the game itself, I, I, actually, I thought it was really entertaining. I, I, obviously, if I'm a Seattle fan, I was probably very depressed. But uh, I thought it was a really open game a lot more open than than last year's game uh, last year's game seemed to be very very compact and very um you mean very very kind of played out in, the, in in midfield this one was all toronto it was very entertaining to watch uh, a very fluid style of football uh, creating many many chances uh it could have been easily like what four nil five nil at halftime but really appealing to the eye and yeah. I, I was really impressed by the quality of play uh from toronto uh, while you watched ESPN, Kartik, I watched uh, Univision Deportes. So I watched the pregame on Univision Deportes. I thought the build-up was good uh, to the game, uh, being able to kind of pull in the atmosphere. It was really kind of a really good broadcast um, in the pre-match. They had uh, a pre-match interview with uh, Don Garber on the pitch in Spanish, and then they would, uh, he would answer the questions in English, and they, they would translate it. Um, some softball questions, nothing, nothing tough, but still, still good. Uh, the commentary was uh, Raul uh, Guzman, uh, Diego uh, Balado, and uh, Marcelo Balboa. And I, I thought the three of them did a great job in terms of uh, the, the commentating. And, of course, to watching an MLS Cup final, and when you have uh, Spanish-language uh, commentators, it, it also feels more exciting. It's more of an exciting broadcast. Um, just one more note on that, Kartik, in terms of the MLS Cup uh, final coverage, is that one of our uh, listeners said that um, Sky Sports in the UK, which has been showing Major League Soccer games you mean, every weekend throughout the entire season, doing a great job, but they began the, the coverage of the, uh, the final in the 15th minute of the game. 
because um, I, I guess there was other games going on uh, right before it. I think it was La Liga or something. But they joined it 15 minutes into the game, which is a shame in terms of uh, how well they've done with the coverage. It's a shame that they weren't able to find a way to actually show that live uh, from from you know, minute zero onwards. But uh, yeah, I was I was impressed by Univision's coverage. I think you were impressed by ESPN's coverage. Um, and we'll talk more about the TV ratings uh, a little bit later. But uh, yeah, it was, it was it was very watchable. Yeah, and I, and I think. A key here, though, on the Sky Sports thing is that this is not a normal kickoff time on a Saturday for uh, an MLS game that's broadcast. Uh, there are a number of MLS games that are played in Canada, and, I, and this was the same case with NASL. It's the same case with USL. Canada, a Canadian sports audience is more like the British sports audience, where they like daytime kickoffs. So we've had a number of games uh TSN, who who is the who's the official broadcaster of Major League Soccer in, in Canada, they um, they're used to kicking games off at three or four p.m. Eastern and broadcasting, and they they have the window set for that. But uh, Sky uh, and uh, and and uh, ESPN don't. So I, I think there was a little bit of awkwardness over the time. Uh, there's complaints now because the rating wasn't as high as some people had wanted that it was the wrong window, but we go through this debate every year. What is the right window? We haven't figured it out yet, or maybe there are other reasons, which we'll get into later in the show. But uh, yeah, I would, I would think it was because of the four, four o'clock Eastern time, 9 PM British standard time kickoff or beginning of, uh, well, actually it kicked off about 20 minutes later than that, but the awkward kickoff time that allowed the La Liga game to bleed into uh, the MLS cup. So anything else, Kartik, in terms of, I'm sure you watched some other games this weekend. What, what else have you been watching? Well, Merseyside Derby, Derek Rain, Phil Neville were very good. Um, Phil Neville was not as uh, biased towards Everton as you would fear. Now, he had talked about how this was interesting during the, the telecast. He talked about at one point how he, he had always been told it was a friendlier Derby. Um, there's a lot that unites Everton and Liverpool supporters, obviously. And, and we know Everton supporters, just from my own experiences, take any discussion of Hillsborough as um, seriously and, and react as angrily as Liverpool supporters. They're from the same town. Uh, a lot of Everton supporters know Liverpool supporters who, who died or were injured that day. So it, it, ha- it has had the reputation of being a little bit friendlier of a derby uh, compared to the derbies we have in London, etc. But Phil Neville said, well, when I got here, I was told that, but then it was really intense. It was really nasty. I think part of that, reflecting on that period, was him. Coming from Manchester United with the mentality he had towards uh, Liverpool, uh, I, I th- no, I'm serious because he got sent off in one or two of those games and initiated fracas, uh, fracas and another one that I can recall. So I found that kind of interesting. But I thought he was actually very good. He and Derek Ray. I think, have known- I think uh, just, just yeah. chime in, Kartik. I, I think, uh, yes, definitely friendly in the stadiums in terms of in the, in the grounds. But on the pitch, though, we've had some really – physical, dirty, side derbies, whether it's Duncan Ferguson or whether it's uh, Gerard, yeah. Gerard going right in with a, you mean, a, in the first couple of minutes, a really tough tackle. And it's the type of game in the past, say, even probably say, I don't know, five years ago or 10 years ago, that in a typical game, there probably would have been like four or five red cards going in. But usually the referees kind of give, uh, you mean, give, give uh, a little bit more patience and we'll give yellow cards maybe later in the game just to try to ride it out, so to speak. But uh, lately, though, it hasn't been that, f- that, that physical part of it. 
uh, as much as it has in the past. But yeah, yeah, right. I'm sure Phil Neville contributed to that in terms of uh, coming from Man United too. I, I was surprised, though, as you were, how unbiased he was. And actually, if anywhere, in some ways, almost uh, overcompensating for being a former Everton player and whether that biased his coverage a, a, a little bit uh, in this game. Because the penalty incident, you mean the, the, the push from uh, Dejan Lovren, uh, Neville was emphatic. He was like, that should not have been a penalty. And he, and, and he said, and I wrote it down too, that there was no contact whatsoever. And I'm like, are you watching the same TV screen that I'm watching? Yes, there was contact. Yes, it's debatable about, you mean, in terms of the push, how much of a push it was, and also from the perspective of the referee, where he was standing, what he saw. Um, you mean, this is debatable too, and I'm sure this is going to upset some of the, the listeners too, but I thought it was a penalty. It's, you, you can't push a player like that in the penalty box. You can't put your hands up. You can't put your hands up like that. Right. Um, it's just, it's just, but, but I thought it was interesting with Neville kind of overcompensating for being the former Everton player, and I thought he was actually a little bit biased in, in a way. Uh, in terms of um, being a little bit more lenient than, than or, more biased than what he should have been normally. Yeah, he's also a, a, a defender, so keep that in mind. Uh, one, a quick takeaway from this match: uh, Wayne Rooney gets scores on that penalty, emphatically books it. I can just speculate about how special it was for him as an Evertonian to score uh, an equalizer at Anfield. Uh, I want to relate this story. I think a lot of newer fans of football or people who maybe don't uh, follow it as closely as I do uh, don't know this. When Rain Rooney scored the penalty, I believe it was against Blackburn uh, in 2011 to give Man United their 19th title and to pass uh, Liverpool all time uh, for the most titles in the top flight in, in England. Rooney talked about after the game, part of his nervousness standing up, uh, walking up to that penalty wasn't just to win the title for Man United, but as an Evertonian, as a lifelong Everton fan, because Rooney remained an Everton fan, uh, as I think a lot of our listeners know, while he was at Man United. Uh, he's a true blue Evertonian. Uh, I had a chance to put Manchester, put Liverpool out of the history books. Uh, and that was what was in his mind. Uh, yes, the team he's playing for currently, Man United, wins a title, but it was also the Everton perspective. So I can only imagine how special that was, oh, that was for Wayne Rooney, who, um, in my opinion, has always been given too much flack and too much stick by the by the British press. I think he's just a legendary player, in my opinion, and uh, was very. I was happy for him, even if the penalty was a little bit dubious. Um, one, one moving thing, on, one more thing. Oh, go ahead. One more thing, just uh, to mention, just on the topic of this penalty too. I thought it was a really interesting uh, interpretation of the penalty incident by Roberto Martinez, uh, and this is, this is I think in goal zone a little bit later in the day. But he said that uh, that penalty. Um, uh, would have been uh, that that would have been called a penalty in Italy or Spain, but usually not in England, which is which is which is fascinating and it's real too in terms of you mean watch games from La Liga or Serie A, you see calls being made, you're like oh, that's a bit uh, that's a bit dubious, or maybe it, you can see one side or the other, and then usually in the Premier League you kind of let things slide a little bit, but um, that was interesting insight in terms of Martinez kind of giving us more of a a worldly kind of perspective on, on this uh, refereeing decision and whether or not uh, it would have been called um, in other places in Europe. But we've seen that too in, in terms of the Champions League. The level of ref- refereeing is a little bit different in terms of uh, with the Premier League in terms of what players can get away with. But I thought that was a really good uh, analysis by Martinez. 
Yeah, uh, and then we had the Manchester Derby. Arlo White was uh, better than usual. He let the game breathe a lot. Lee Dixon really on point, really in good form. Uh, you mentioned Roberto Martinez, who was an excellent addition, as we assumed he would be, to the NBC studio. Uh, I'm a critic of Jose Mourinho, but I've thought at times Robbie Musto, who seems to have the same exact opinions of Mourinho I do, uh, has been – over the top, but now, uh, not maybe over the top, but maybe, you know, too much. Um, over the top. That's the wrong uh, use of a language. But I think Musto now, uh, it's predictable what he's going to say when there's a big game, a, a big match involving Mourinho and he parks, tries to park the bus. But it is so important because, uh, no offense to Chelsea supporters, uh, Chelsea is a different club than Manchester United. And, and um, what Earl and Musto began talking about, and I've talked about with a lot of my friends who are Manchester United supporters, including our, our former host of the predecessor podcast to this, uh, Nipun Chopra, about the club ethos that even in the 1970s and 1980s, when Manchester United was not winning trophies regularly, but they win an occasional FA Cup here and there, right? Um, under managers like Ron Atkinson, the post-Busby period, pre-Ferguson period, there were still a, um, a, a sort of an obligation for Manchester United to play football, uh, to play to to, to, to uh, uh, play open, exciting, attacking football, uh, push the ball wide, uh, go forward, and um, what has happened under Louis Van Hall, and now especially under um, uh, Jose Mourinho. And actually, Van Hall had had some of the guys Mourinho had bought. Maybe he would have played differently because his teams weren't very – his teams at Barcelona and at Bayern Munich were certainly more entertaining than uh, the team he, he had at Manchester United. Uh, what we're seeing is Mourinho almost to troll the rest of us, Chris, and to troll commentators because I'm sure in the U.K. on Sky Sports and on BT – the, the, people are saying the same things Robbie Musto and Robbie Earl are saying in the NBC studios. It's almost to troll us now that he sets up like this in, in every big match, even at home now, and then uh, pops off about it after the match. Um, so I, I, I think you know, I've gone from thinking, okay, we, we know what Musto's going to say. It's getting kind of boring, even though I agree with him, to thinking Robbie Musto can't, ha- can't say that strongly enough or loudly enough. And, and actually, Musto and, and Earl continue to have that conversation through the midweek matches. Uh, I think the tolerance for Mourinho's behavior, um, it's not only the, the, the parking of the bus, but also his behavior, his, uh, his uh, uh, press uh, his behavior in the media uh, has uh, has reached a boiling point with a lot of commentators, and and they're just fed up with it. I think in many, many ways too, though, Kartik, uh, just uh, I mean, realize how much we're talking about NBC Sports's coverage here, which just goes to show in terms of how on point they are in terms of um, I mean soccer in general and what we're watching and what we're thinking and and uh, what's going on because. I mean, Robbie Earl too. I think on uh, was it on Wednesday was talking about this too in terms of the. Uh, Attack, 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 and kind of the the Man United fans kind of uh, uh, wanting that, and kind of towards the end of the game against uh, Bournemouth, kind of expecting that. But uh, I, I, I mean, we're talking about Roberto Martinez, we're talking about Derek Ray, we're talking about uh, the two Robbies. I mean, to me, it just shows a great example of just how great of a job NBC Sports is doing. Yeah, and that they're in tune with this sort of thing. Yeah. If Fox Sports had the Premier League rights right now, I don't think the people that they have in their studio would be in tune to, well, maybe Warren Barton a little bit, but the rest would not be in tune to 
the feelings of Manchester United fans on both sides of the Atlantic who uh, understand the club history and the club ethos and understand if you're not winning um, Premier League titles and you're not win- uh, competing to win in Europe, the obligation is to be entertaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Robbie, Robbie Earl said it best when he said there were pockets of that old Trafford crowd that despite the animosity, despite the derby, applauded Manchester City off the pitch because they had tried to play football and they had entertained them, whereas Man United had uh, had given us what was a dire performance, right? And they did it against again against Bournemouth midweek. So, uh, yeah, I just think it's NBC has upped the game. And there's actually uh, an article today in The Guardian, and we're recording this on Thursday, by the way, for our listeners, that you might want to read about how NBC Sports has uh, dialed into the authentic, the, the, the needs of the American consumer to have an authentic voices covering soccer and covering the Premier League. It's a very, very good article. Uh, focuses largely on Arlo White and Robbie Earl, but just really the whole presentation. And I would encourage uh, our listeners to check it out. Yeah, in terms of the coverage of this game too, Kartik, uh, I tell you what, the, uh, the, this Amazon behind-the-scenes documentary that they're doing about Manchester City this season is going to be fascinating. I, I'm not a Manchester City fan by any means, but uh, in terms of everything that happened uh, post-match, with I mean, water bottles and, and uh, milk being thrown at Mourinho. Uh, the cameras weren't allowed into the changing rooms, the dressing rooms, uh, but I'm sure they must have picked up on some of the uh, incidents that happened uh, in, in the corridors. But, and, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, too, that Amazon is doing this documentary that's probably going to be released, I would think, um, in the summertime, I mean, kind of after the season. But I, I can't wait for this. I mean, especially in terms of how well Manchester City are playing. The other thing, Kartik, in terms of this match, uh, of course, we mentioned Roberto Martinez uh, as the studio analyst. Uh, in terms of having him there for halftime and post-match to talk about this game, uh, that really helped in terms of elevate the, the coverage. I also thought it was interesting, too, in terms of having uh, Roberto Martinez on the show. It actually helps to promote Telemundo's coverage of the World Cup because Rebecca Lowe would, would be talking to Martinez and Roberto was mentioned uh, something about Belgium. And then Rebecca would say, okay, well, don't forget, you can watch Belgium next summer on Telemundo. You mean in Spanish language, of course, but still it's part of the uh, NBC Sports uh, big family. Uh, and then one, one more thing, too. Uh, Lee Dixon is, is just incredible. There was one part in this match in terms of his analysis, and he uh, particularly like the part where he discussed how if there's any blade of grass in front of him as a player, he was trained – uh, anyway, as a young player, to go into that space because grass is like gold dust and it moves the possession forward and brings you closer to the opposition goal. And I thought that was really just really just crystal clear analysis that could benefit anyone from my kids, which I, anyway, I've been sharing that with them in terms of that anecdote. But any, anyone in this game of football, you mean whether it's someone watching a game or, uh, you mean, whichever team you support is just that that's concept. One I've never heard of, Kartik, but it makes com- complete sense for anyone that's uh, watched or played this beautiful game. Yeah, no, it was re- really, really good. He's just, he, he, he has these analogies that make a lot of sense when he's able to enunciate himself and, and, and has the time to describe it. And this, this match was perfect for that. So I, I completely agree. Um, moving on, uh, watch the Monterey Tigres, uh, uh, two legs, both legs, uh, just fantastic. Uh, two local rivals. Congratulations to Tigres on winning. Uh, I think that, um, 
again, officiating in Liga Mekis is, is a talking point and was the talking point coming out of these two likes. It always is in the, in the postseason tournaments, Apatora Clausura postseason tournaments in Mexico. And um, the referees, the, the Mexican Federation realizes they have to protect the referees because there has been more and more um, – problems with players not showing proper respect to officiating. I mean, I guess that's a problem all over the globe, but uh, especially in Mexico, it's been a big issue. Yeah, that was, uh, so I watched the, the second leg and uh, I was surprised by that. I, I don't watch a lot, a lot of uh, Liga Mekis, uh, but when I do, I'm always caught, ba- caught by surprise about how physical the game is. I mean, a lot of stop-start, a lot of fouling, uh, a lot more scrappy than, say, a typical game that I normally watch. And the other thing in terms of the, um, the referee, into, you know, whenever the referee would uh, make, make a controversial decision, how the players would completely surround him. You mean seven or eight players around him, uh, push, well, not pushing, but touching him, getting very close. And I thought that was surprising. That's something I, I'm not used to seeing to that level, to that extent. But yeah, I agree with you, Kartik. This was um, a very entertaining game, and uh, it could have easily gone Monterey's way uh, on, on this one. Uh, there were a couple of questionable uh, referee indecisions and, of course, a missed penalty. But entertaining. And, and uh, we'll get more into the TV numbers a little bit later in terms of how well this one did. Yeah. Um, moving into midweek, obviously, uh, I watched uh, um, I watched the championship game on Monday on ESPN3 and then on uh, the Cardiff City match and then on Tuesday – Chelsea Huddersfield Huddersfield they just feast or famine this was the same thing last year in the championship they either they either win a match um one nil or two one or they uh they lose five nil or four one or three one like in this match so uh it, it's uh it's just something we're used to with them and uh and then Wednesday watched uh, Man City Swansea now interestingly before the match Neil Ashton was on NBC's uh, pregame uh, hour, and he talked about two things that were significant. One, that the Amanda Staveley buyout of Newcastle is not as close to being completed as has been reported in other publications, in his opinion, uh, and he's usually right about these things. That would be uh, two more weeks, three more weeks, however many, how, however many more weeks uh, of Mike Ashley, however many more weeks, presumably, of losses. And however many more weeks of potentially Rafa thinking he might need to walk if the deal doesn't get done. So Newcastle really in crisis right now. And the end of the Ashley era is uh, going as much of it has with the team just floundering. Uh, the second piece of news was that he believes uh, the Coates family is still very close with Tony Pulis. And potentially Pulis could have the um, – Stoke City job if Sparky is sacked, uh, Sparky being Mark Hughes, after these next two matches with Stoke hovering close to the relegation zone. Um, this was stunning to me, and Ashton seemed very confident in his prediction that that might happen, uh, which uh, I think Rebecca Lowe was stunned also. Again, shows the value of all of NBC's programming. At the past, I've, in the past, I've said some of NBC's programming – post-game and pre-game shows were becoming stale. Uh, they've really mixed it up recently, and I think maybe Martino taking his leave of absence to, to run for your soccer president has forced them to get a little more edgy. Uh, but in terms of breaking news or, or, or speculating about potential breaking news, uh, that was a, a masterful segment uh, from Neil Ashton. Yeah, I agree. And it's one of those things, though, too, with uh, Tony Pulis probably not getting the, the Wales job Um In terms of uh, opportunities, I mean, going back to Stoke is uh, definitely a possibility. 
from uh, what I watched this past weekend, uh, Kartik, uh, you know, we talked about most of those games I watched. Um, I did watch um, Swansea against West Brom and also the Swansea-Manchester uh, City game. Manchester City right now, to me, they remind me of the movie title, A League of Their Own. I mean, that's how good they are. They're on, on a different planet. Uh, I thought Swansea had a couple of good chances in this game, but really were completely outplayed on their home turf against a, one of the best teams in the world at this moment. And uh, last but not least, I watched the Flamengo Independiente uh, Copa Sudamericana final, the second leg, on Fox Deportes on Wednesday night. A very emotional uh, end to the game with uh, Independiente winning 3-2 on aggregate. Uh, emotional from the, the manager, from the players, uh, from the fans. Uh, this is, um, I mean, in, at the Maracanã, playing in front of uh, approximately 100,000 fans, uh, playing in front of the uh, Flamengo fans and uh, Independiente, uh, got the tie in the second leg, and there was enough from the first leg to go all the way through to, to win this one. But uh, I, I don't get to watch much uh, Copa Sudamericana, but based on this final, completely uh, I mean, overwhelmed, very exciting, and uh, we'll definitely uh, tune in uh, next season for this uh, tournament. Uh, a great culmination of, of a great season. Now, Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news. Yeah, some some pretty big news this week uh, in the world of, of soccer media, at least here in the United States. And being a Floridian and being a political person, this is interest, particularly interesting for me. Joe Scarborough uh, will host NBCSN's uh, new series about the Premier League, uh, which is going to debut on Boxing Day, uh, December 26th. Uh, after the Boxing Day fixtures, three episodes are planned at present, could be more uh, in the future. Uh, this was according to Variety magazine. And uh, Scarborough is a big Liverpool fan, so be prepared, those of you who don't uh, may not follow him, may not follow politics, and may not know his, uh, his allegiances. His allegiances were, are to the Republican Party and to Liverpool. Uh, or actually, maybe not even to, the, uh, to Alabama, uh, Alabama Crimson Time, maybe not even to the Republican Party anymore. I think he uh, says he switched his party registration to independent because of Donald Trump, but he's a, he's a very, um, he's a very engaging presenter. I mean, I was a person who working in politics clashed with him. I'm, I come from the, the liberal persuasion. I'm a Democrat, uh, here in Florida, but he is engaging as a intelligent, as a, as a host. And I think it's going to be real exciting. And uh, on top of that, Chris, this is um, the third straight year, I believe, that NBC has debuted something new for Boxing Day, um, a new series. Uh, uh, maybe. Usually they've done, what, the Premier League download series? Yeah. And, and there was a Premier League um, – well, okay. Well, I guess it was a download series, but it was uh, one of those club documentaries two years ago. Yeah, whichever – Behind the badge, correct. And then last season, it was the Freestylers. Uh, it's uh, right. uh, it's called Football or, or whatever that, that show was called, which I actually enjoyed yep. uh, a great deal uh, behind the, and gave us a lot of behind the scenes at Chelsea and Arsenal beyond just the freestyle footballing and now this. So, again, uh, NBC, uh, we've called on them to freshen it up and, and, and add some new things, and they seem to be obliging us. Uh, just uh, really looking forward to this, and uh, they, they keep raising the bar. On to other news. Um, Fox Sports might have some budget cuts coming up uh, soon as a result of the um, U.S. crashing out of the World Cup. So according to Sporting News, they say that um, Fox Sports staffers in Los Angeles are bracing for a wave of possible budget cutbacks due to uh, disappointing NFL advertising sales this season. Uh, plus, 
uh, with the uh, t- Team USA eliminated from the 2018 FIFA World Cup in Russia, Fox can't, uh, cannot count on soccer ad dollars next year uh, to to get well from an ad standpoint. So in terms of the, the amount of revenue that they were projecting to generate from, uh, from having the World Cup and having the Team USA in the World Cup, uh, they probably ha- have had to change those expectations slightly, and that's having an impact, or will looks like it's going to have an impact uh, within Fox. It also means that um, some of the stars on the NFL side, Skip Bayless and others, um, there's some doubts there too in terms of uh, their contracts. Uh, it, it really, what, I think at the end of the day, what's happening is, is that Fox is having to uh, tighten belts within the organization, and a lot of this comes from um, from the World Cup. And so we'll have to wait and see kind of uh, what happens in the coming weeks. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very unfortunate for Fox that they're going through this progression because also FS1 and FS2's ratings are not at the level they had expected to begin with. We have the whole cord-cutting phenomena and then uh, uh, an event that they had a massive outlay for, which was uh, um, 50 million, or excuse me, 500 billion. Uh, they now, um, the properties were significantly less uh, in the U.S. market. So uh, tough times for Fox. Uh, we had a combined total of four. 4.0 million viewers for the Liga Mekis Apertura final across Univision and Univision de Deportes. Uh, two-legged final, obviously, between Tigres and Monterrey that we had talked about before. That's a fantastic number, particularly when you consider there was no Chivas, there was no America, there was no Cruz Azul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to wonder if Fox, I mean, I'm sorry, if Major League Soccer is kind of think, looking at this going, okay, 4.9 million viewers total combined for both of these, uh, the first leg and the second leg of the final, if they're thinking in, uh, for the you know, future MLS Cup finals, whether to make it a two-leg affair and have you know, 1.1 plus 1.2, so perhaps, say, and have it to be 2.3 or 2.4 uh, million, uh, th- that's something that I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if they're considering. But uh, from Liga Mekis's point of view, it's not as high as the 6 million they got uh, this time uh, last year, and I think that was uh, Chivas against Tigres, but uh, for Tigres and, and Monterrey, almost five million for those two games uh, combined. It's still fantastic numbers. Now, moving on, uh, Fox Sports has revealed a little bit more detail regarding what they'll try to do for the World Cup coverage this summer. And I've got a clip here from uh, executive producer David Neal, who was interviewed at a sports conference and he went into more detail. And it starts off by asking about the elephant in the room, which is the U.S. not making it into the World Cup and how that impacts their coverage. So let me go ahead and press play on that. Elephant in the room, I like to call it, which is Team USA disappointing everybody by not making it. Um, how, did that ch- how did that change you know, when that happened? I was like, oh, man, you guys are in scramble mode. Or so how did the kind of – what did you guys do to kind of recheck things and kind of right. redeploy your forces, if you will? Well, it, it forced us to reevaluate the entire operating plan because um, you know, the, the, the first reaction is to simply say, well, it's really only likely that that costs us three matches because the United States was not very good, as, as evidenced by the fact that they didn't qualify. Um, so you played three matches in, uh, in group stage, so unlikely to even expected that they would have advanced into the round of 16. Having said that, it would be naive to say that not having the United States there doesn't impact you at all, so of course it does. Um, the interesting thing is there has been such great interest and I would say concern on the part of FIFA and the H- and HBS 
that this would somehow diminish our interest in covering this event, that they really, uh, particularly at, at the World Broadcasting meeting last week, went out of their way to point out resources that effectively we've already paid for as part of our rights fee, things that can make us more efficient, can help us to be even more effective storytellers about the 32 teams. Because here's my spin. We used to have one team. Now we have 32 teams to worry about. So, so in, in order to help us tell stories about the teams that, that will be there, uh, HBS in particular uh, showed us a lot of the uh, resources that they already plan on deploying and really wanted to make sure that we understood what they were, how uh, facile they, they are in terms of our being able to use them, uh, make connections for us with other broadcasters. And I have to say that the draw came out in a way that was about as perfect as you could envision given the circumstances with, with no United States team. Our big marketing push is going to be on the big three. Um, and I'm reminded with uh, the NBA having been in here just before we walked in, back when I was at NBC and we you know, enjoyed the, the six years of, of Michael Jordan and the Bulls, what made that a transcendent television property was Michael Jordan. It was the stars, the Jordan and the Bulls, but it was Michael Jordan. Uh, we still have the three best players in the world. We've got Lionel Messi, we've got Cristiano Ronaldo, and we've got Neymar. And the way the draw came out, none of those guys play on the same day. Um, they're spread pretty evenly through the two weeks of, of group stage. So really what our big emphasis in terms of storytelling, production, marketing, everything, is on the big three, to try to get American viewers to the point where they don't want to be in line at Starbucks in the morning and have their friends say, hey, did you see what that Ronaldo guy did last night? And have them not be able to be conversant. We need to do everything we can to make it relevant in terms of pop culture, cover the heck out of it, Bring those guys to life. Make Messi be more than just a guy. Make Ronaldo and Neymar, those guys, bring them to life with, you know, Jen Pransky and our features unit are world-class. They'll be able to do that. So, okay, There you go, Kartik. So there's uh, David Neal from uh, a, a sports conference this week. And uh, the audio wasn't the greatest, um, but um, it, it is what it is. But Kartik, what's your initial thoughts? He had, he had a lot to say there in, in a short amount of time. Yeah, um, I, I, I think... Um, you know, it's it's to me quite interesting that um, they they have they're in this they're caught in between this they're in this paradox right this catch twenty two with the U S not qualifying they have made a significant outweigh and a significant commitment to cover FIFA events but at the same time um, now have to co compensate in some way for not having the anchor. Uh, portion of what would be their programming. So it's a balancing act, and, and you kind of get that from, from listening to them there. A few interesting things that jumped out for me was, uh, I think he's mentioned that we started with one team, now we have 32 teams, which of course is, is, is in terms of what they were originally planning on doing, which is going to be all USA all the time, uh, focusing on that and playing that up, and then, yeah, talking about the other teams, but not so much, and, and now how that's changed. That was interesting. The other interesting thing to me was uh, them focusing on um, Neymar, Messi, Ronaldo, which is some great free advertising for being sports with their coverage of having those guys week in, week out, but focusing on those three individuals as a way. And I'm sure in terms of their marketing, advertising, that's what we'll begin to see in, in the coming months, um, some ads featuring those guys, playing them up and, and going from that angle. The other interesting thing, Kartik, to me was uh, David Neal kind of downplaying the United States' chances in this World Cup and, and mentioning that uh, they weren't that good anyway, they were a little bit older, and uh, 
the most that they're, they're expecting was three games out of this tournament. I think that's a little bit of a spin, hmm. spin there in terms of uh, what they. I mean, yeah. US usually makes it into the second round, um, usually at, at a minimum. But downplaying what the US could have done and and just kind of spinning it to say, okay, well, we're, we're only missing out on three games because the US probably would have crashed out in, in the, the group stage anyway. But all in all, some uh, some thoughts and it gives us some perspective and some insight into what they're thinking. And uh, I, I don't blame them going the, the Messi, Ronaldo, and uh, Neymar route. And uh, hopefully, I don't know, they've got a huge job on their hands and it's going to be a huge challenge to, to make this work, uh, as we discussed uh, last week. Now, Kartik, let's move on to the next uh, news item. Yeah, um, so in the MLS Cup uh, uh, broadcast, MLS used a helicopter cam to rule that Josie Altador's goal was onside. Uh, and if you want to see it for yourself, there it's on YouTube. It's pretty fascinating that... Um, that the video replay or VAR has now uh, gotten to that level, uh, sophisticated, but it, it didn't create any kind of delay for us. Uh, so it worked. Yeah. So this, for those who missed it, I missed it too. But so Howard Webb, I guess, was interviewed by ESPN. I, I, I'm not sure on the day or, or afterwards about that incident. And he said that the, the VR, VAR, the video assistant referee crew, um, in the either in the stadium or in the truck, had all the different uh, camera angles. One of the camera angles they were using too was from the helicopter cam that was being used to show overhead shots, and that's the one that they looked at and made the ruling that uh, Josie was onside or, or level, and uh, that the goal should have stood. As far as I know, Kartik, that's the first time that uh, a helicopter has been used for a video assistant referee. But more power to them. I mean, if that makes a difference. Uh, to make the decision more fair or more accurate, go, go for it. Uh, I, of course, we can't expect that every single game, but uh, but really fascinating from a from a TV perspective and and how that can uh, improve the game of soccer that we love. Now, uh, ESPN has revealed more details about their paid streaming service, which is going to debut in the spring of 2018. It's very likely that Major League Soccer games and the Championship will be included in this service. But by the sounds of, sound of it, uh, there could be some other soccer leagues, add, so, soccer leagues added too. Uh, no confirmation on that yet. But uh, I do have a clip from that same video conference, uh, sports video conference, put on by Sports Video Group with uh, John Skipper, who's the head of uh, ESPN. And he gives us more perspective uh, of what to expect from this paid service. So let me go, go ahead and run that clip too. Okay, here it goes. I don't know if ESPN Plus is about going to where they are. It's about going to where the technology is. And it's pretty clear that the technology of sh distributing video is going over the top. Uh, and that's where we're going with this. We bought in BamTech the world's greatest video platform service for streaming live events. That's what we wanted. We want to be able to take what is our bread and butter. We do 16,000 live events a year on the ESPN networks. So that's core to what we do. We bought the platform, BamTech. We're going to launch a direct-to-consumer over-the-top service uh, sometime this spring. Now, I sometimes get asked, wow, you guys are, are just sort of getting to the party at launching an over-the-top service. It's not accurate. We launched over a decade ago ESPN3, which was uh, the first uh, network uh, paid for by the traditional distributors 
that streamed games. Last year we streamed 12,000 games on ESPN3. But let me give you the overall story if I can, and, and I apologize. It's, it's not uncomplicated. What we're going to do is to launch a new, e, new version of the ESPN app this spring. That new version of the ESPN app is going to be the best way to consume the totality of ESPN in the future. It's going to be the way you enjoy ESPN the best. You, launch the, you download the app, you have all of the content, which is traditionally on ESPN.com, mobile ESPN, uh, which 102 million people consumed in October, consumed 9 billion minutes. It's a 35% share of all the digital consumption of sports on the Internet. So that's going to live in the app. You download that app, all that's for free. It remains, you authenticate your pay television, where the great majority of the best sports uh, in the United States resides. You still need to have that pay television. Download uh, that watch, uh, watch ESPN and watch those games there. We are launching a complimentary product called ESPN Plus, and it is the way to take all the stuff you love about ESPN and add more to it. We will do, in um, uh, within the first year, we will have an aggregation of 10,000 new live events on ESPN+. That means we will distribute more than 25,000 events next year. It will also have a large collection of video on demand. So you can kind of think of it in two buckets. A bunch more games. Uh, a lot of those games will be niche sports. A lot of those games will be for particular passionate sports interests. And then a sort of Netflix-like like aggregation of uh, multi-part uh, docu-series, behind the scenes, you know, visit with uh, such and such a college football team. Uh. Okay, so so he goes on into more detail, but I'll stop it there. So we have ESPN3 today, and with that, you mean authenticating through whether it's uh, you mean your cable company or your satellite company or some streaming companies, you can uh, access that content. If you're a cord cutter through Sling Orange, you can get all that content. And then ESPN Plus, which the reason I let the, the interview go a little bit longer is that he does mention that it's going to focus on niche sports. So you're going to have 10,000 games that you have access to. In some ways, it sounds a little bit similar to NBC Sports Gold. That would be an add-on package, an add-on streaming package. We just have to wait and see what's on that. Is that... Uh, What's currently MLS Live and some of those games, the out-of-town games that uh, on a Saturday that you would subscribe through MLS Live today, that you have to subscribe through ESPN Plus uh, next season, will they add the, bring in the championship games into that as kind of a niche league? Uh, and will they add more TV rights or more, more rights? So that the FA Cup rights, for example, are up for bidding. Uh, that could be something that, that they could acquire and put on ESPN Plus. So that's another paid service, Kartik, that we're probably going to have to uh, shell out some bucks for next season uh, if we want to watch uh, all the sports that we're used to today. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the case. And, and I would add on to that that ESPN had an ability in the early days of ESPN3, it was called ESPN360 at the time, to acquire rights from various leagues that weren't on American television uh, and even the digital rights for some leagues that were on American television. So uh, when Skipper talks, uh, implies that there might be more um, football leagues beyond MLS and the championship added to this, uh, I think you might see leagues like the Portuguese League or the Russian League or uh, I'm just – kind of spitballing here with the Belgian league, these sorts of leagues end up on this service as well. So it, it probably will be worthwhile for soccer fans, but be prepared to shell out some more money. 
Yeah, yeah. And again, we'll have to wait and see. They haven't decided, so they haven't announced yet what's going to be on there. Uh, MLS Live, I can almost guarantee, will be on there. And probably MLS Live, which is currently owned by ESPN anyway, will go away. And uh, it'll be ESPN Plus that you have to subscribe to. The question is, what other soccer content will be on there, as well as, as well as other sports? I mean, they have cricket, they have other sports too, so we'll have to wait and see. But at least, again, more insight into what to expect, and that's the reason why we brought you these clips from Fox Sports and ESPN, to give you a heads up uh, uh, regarding what's coming uh, in the coming months. Now, Karthik, uh, one more uh, news item before we talk about TV ratings. Yeah, just completed this morning. We're recording this on Thursday. Uh, Disney's completed a purchase of 21st Century Fox for $52 billion. Uh, in terms of soccer coverage, this includes Fox regional sports networks, including YES, which, of course, uh, broadcasts Manchester City Television. Fox regional sports networks, a lot of them have MLS games, uh, and they've been showing Champions League games, uh, although that contract obviously expires and goes to Turner next year. It includes FX which is a big addition to the Disney portfolio. Um, and obviously they've shown Bundesliga games in the past and some Champions League games. Star India, uh, which, by the way, uh, one of the Star India channels was purchased by um, News Corp uh, just about three or four years ago from ESPN. So they're getting that channel back and the rest of the Star channels. Uh, and 39% of the European pay TV operator Sky. And I should mention the Star India channel that had been purchased from ESPN, from Disney by uh, Fox was still showing ESPN programming. So uh, there is already an established relationship in the Indian market between uh, the fo uh, between Fox and, and uh, ESPN and Disney. Uh, so they get 39% of the European pay operator. Sky, that's the continental operator, not uh, B-Sky B, which um, I think many of our listeners know has been in uh, – there's been a lot of uh, haggling over uh, News Corp and Murdoch's role there and um, and – that is a. Uh, that's what led to us finding out about the phone hacking scandal, among other things. All right, moving on to TV ratings. Uh, some of the big numbers out this past week, and we'll get more into this in a minute. Uh, 1.4 million viewers for the Manchester derby that was on NBCSN on Sunday, 11:30 uh, a.m. Eastern kickoff. Uh, out of that, uh, it's actually 1.397 million to be exact. 902,000 of those viewers watched the game on NBCSN, 495,000 on, uh, on Telemundo. Now, they're 495,000 on Telemundo. That's their biggest number uh, all season long for um, the Premier League on Spanish-language television in the United States. And NBCSN, I believe that's the, I think it's the highest rated uh, game this season on cable on, uh, on almost a million now, or just over 900,000. So all in all, uh, 1.4 million. Uh, it would have been great if this game was on NBC over the air, but still um, impressive numbers there for, um, for the Premier League and uh, NBCSN. Yeah. Uh, no question about that, and I think uh, we're seeing the numbers begin to recover. I was concerned about the numbers earlier in the season, and, and now uh, we're seeing uh, an uptick. Uh, it, it, maybe it's not where necessarily we thought it would be after year one of NBC's coverage, but it's certainly recovering. Yeah, and then moving on to the big one, Kartik, and that's the uh, Toronto-Seattle MLS Cup Final on ESPN. And uh, it was on ESPN plus uh, a simulcast on Univision Deportes and Unamas. Altogether, uh, for those two, well, for both the, U both the Univision channels combined and the ESPN uh, channel combined, it had uh, 1.143 uh, million, so 1.1 million um, in, in all. 
for uh, Univision, it's about, I think, less than half of what they got last year. So a big blow there. Uh, for ESPN, actually, the number was greater than it was um, a couple of years ago when they last had a MLS Cup final. But all in all, it's disappointed uh, because these numbers, it's, it's, it's not apples to apples by any means, but these numbers this year are 43% less than last year. And we knew that the number was going to be less because last year's final was on over-the-air Fox Network, uh, prime time on a Saturday night. And then this year was at uh, what, the 4.30 kickoff uh, Eastern time on ESPN, which is still a flagship network, massive network in the U.S., and then with the Univision networks there too. So the, the other thing to add to this, Kartik, uh, from my perspective too, is that um, part of the disappointment was from the overnight ratings. So the overnight ratings came out, um, I guess it was on what would have been Sunday or Monday when they were actually published. The overnight ratings were strong. And uh, one, of the, one, of, you know, one of the people in the business, uh, Jonathan Tannerwald, I think it was posting on Twitter talking about, okay, based on this overnight rating, uh, my kind of over-under is 1.15 million for the ESPN number. So in a lot of people's minds, they, can, they were expecting ESPN to come back to announce once the, all the official numbers, viewing numbers were released, that the, the viewing number would have been 1.15 and, and above. And uh, it came in at, you know, what, the 800,000 or eight, 800 and, was it? Uh, yeah, 803,000. So in many ways, kind of the, the bar had been raised in terms of expectations, and then the number that came in uh, ultimately was disappointing. So there was, um, that, that hurt, and I think that stung. The other thing, too, ESPN, once the overnight numbers had come out, ESPN putting out a press release, seeing how strong the numbers were. Uh, to me, I mean, playing uh, Monday morning quarterback, in hindsight, I think in many ways that ESPN would probably would have done better by not publishing those overnight ratings and probably by Tannenwald not actually publicizing those numbers too or not, not making a big deal out of it because ultimately those numbers that did come in were, were decent uh, for what, what it is. And again, it's not an apples to apples comparison. What do you think, Kartik? Uh um, I don't know. I, you know, it's it's uh, um, it's not an apples to apples comparison. The Univision number is the only number we have that is apples to apples. Um, I'm at a loss, right? Because also the window was different. I, it's just it's just not working, right? I, I I'm I'm getting I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting physically frustrated by this debate because. You have on one side people who feel like MLS cannot do anything wrong, and that uh, those of you who those of us who criticize MLS are uh, anti uh, are Euro snobs, anti American soccer. But then on the other side, quite frankly, Chris, you have people who will take any piece of data that makes MLS look bad and exaggerate it, and any uh, anything that may in some way damage the credibility of MLS and overplay it. I'm just tired of this debate. The time. The, the window was different. The network was different. Um, let, 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 let's uh, compare apples to apples, which is the ratings of an MLS Cup on ESPN to other sporting events on ESPN, the ratings of the MLS Cup when it was on Fox over the air to other primetime sporting events on Fox over the air, uh, like uh, college football, etc. Uh, and let's have that conversation, okay? I, this, yeah. this, this, uh, I am so tired of... Uh, 
quite frankly, Chris, I mean, I'm, we criticize MLS a lot on this show, but I'm tired of the anti-MLS people too. They, 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 do, they don't have any objectivity either when it comes, especially to this discussion about television. It's just terrible. Yeah, I, I think there's two extremes. I mean, there's the, the, the MLS fanboys that will take any number, any positive number, and then just blow it out of proportion in terms of how fantastic that this number is without putting it into context with, with other numbers. Part of that is the Adidas shirt deal, which was a great number for MLS, but putting that into comparison to other teams or uh, other leagues is, is very small. Uh, on the other side, you have the anti-MLS crowd that will take any negative number and will blow that out of proportion. At least for us in between, I think we're trying to be impartial and we're trying to be objective. To me, I, I, I thought the number was good. I thought the number was decent. Yes, the Univision number is disappointing. But again, I just still think in terms of uh, ESPN putting up the press release, Tannenwald blowing up the number, uh, or the expectation of what the, the, the final number was, making a prediction, and then, and then the, the, the actual final number coming in being be, uh, below that, below the expectations, it felt like a big... Uh, uh-uh. Kind of just a really disappointing number. So, so I, th- I think it's actually it's it's promising. It's not as bad as people make it out to be. Uh, yes, it could be better, but uh, I mean, there was also the Army Navy game on. But yeah, it, it is what it is. It's decent, um, and I guess we'll just we'll move on. Yeah. You know, I think the Army-Navy thing is so interesting because even people who follow college football, uh, are, I think, are stunned every year when the, the number comes out from that game. They're just people who that, – that's a completely different audience than your typical sporting audience or even your typical college football audience. And the fact is this game was going head-to-head with it. I mean, it, there was uh, no part of the game of the MLS Cup match that did not overlap with the Army-Navy game. All right, let's move on. Uh, we'll have uh, the rest of the TV ratings numbers published this weekend on worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, listen to Mailbag. First one is from Josh Denz, and he sent this in through email. Um, I'll be interested to get your feedback on this one, Kartik, by the way. Uh, he says, hi, guys. Huge fan of the pod. Keep up the good work. Uh, big Toronto FC fan from Buffalo, New York. Um, but I'm beyond upset that ESPN had no real pregame coverage uh, before MLS Cup. Uh, they haven't marketed it, marketed it well in the days leading up to the match, either in my opinion. Only two and a half hours t- of time allocated for the match. Uh, total is horrible to me. I would understand this mediocrity from Fox, but certainly not ESPN. Would love to get your opinion on how soccer in America can possibly grow when the cup final isn't even marketed remotely well and why uh, there wasn't even a, a pregame show. Yeah, I, I, this is again, Chris, about the windows um, and finding the time in the programming schedule. I mean, I was initially very excited about um, the broadcast window as I thought there was going to be. And then it turned out, uh, in fact, was under a misconception when we interviewed uh, Amy Rosenfeld last week about that broadcast window. And it, it's contracted, so they was not really a pregame show. We were um, speculating on Twitter before the match about Greg Vandy going to a diamond, right? And I, and I talked about that earlier in the show. And I think had you had a proper pregame show, you would have had a lot of time to dissect that formation change and, and its potential impact on the match. And like I said, it was brilliant. I thought uh, Toronto was brilliant. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree. But, but Kartik, I, so I missed the pregame on the ESPN. I was watching the Univision one. So is he correct that there was no pregame show or, or was there a pregame show? 
Or was it just that it was truncated? There was, but there was, but it was about 15 minutes. I mean, it was um, it was already cut in a little bit because the college basketball game ran over t- um, over its allotted time, which always happens, right? Uh, college basketball on ESPN. This has been a frustration of mine for 20 years. They always schedule these games in two-hour windows, um, and they they never uh, they hardly and they don't go two and a half. Right, but they'll go two hours and five minutes. So what happens is when they have back-to-back college basketball games, as they did prior to MLS Cup, the tip-off for the second game will be delayed by five minutes, three minutes, five minutes, and then that will split into the next program, which in this case was MLS Cup. So I would say maybe 4.07, 4.08 they came on the air Eastern time. Um, and then the kickoff was probably before 4.30. So 15 minutes, maybe 20. Uh, I don't think right. it was a full 20. I think it was like 15 minutes. Right. Yeah, with commercials. Yeah. All right, moving on. The, the soccer heretic uh, sent us uh, a tweet, and he says, I always chime in when I have criticism, but I just wanted to say that your analysis of Kathy Carter's candidacy and interviews was spot on. Seems like a clear case of meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Also think it is p- worth pointing out that the media group's journalists who have strong ties to Major League Soccer began attacking the reform candidates for typos and minor grammatical errors for even suggesting that there is a bias in the coverage which seems apparent. Within 24 hours of Carter's announcement she was entering the race, Grant Wall had a full segment on her leading into UEFA Champions League coverage on Fox Sports and ESPN. Um, I'm sorry, and, and ESPN had what amounted to a profile piece with softball questions. None of the other candidates have received the, uh, such front and center attention. When the journalists and media departments were interrogated by fans on Twitter seeking reform, they counted with what they had, uh, that, that they had other candidates on podcasts. I'm not going to ho- hammer podcasts because obviously I'm an a- avid regular listener of many, um, but there is no way you can convince me that these podcasts all combined have even half the reach as any of the segments aired by the MLS slash some partner networks. Uh, namely, in this case, uh, ESPN and, and Fox. Uh, some, some big words there, too, from uh, Soccer Heretic, Kartik. Uh, do you agree? Yeah, I tend to agree. And I think uh, the Kathy Carter uh, candidacy is very troubling for a lot of people. We'd love to have her on the show and answer, uh, have, ask her some of these questions. Uh, it, the appearance is not good. And uh, even folks that are kind of uh, middle of the road or even uh, in the MLS camp are, are a little concerned about it, quite honestly. And then the last uh, message, this one's from Facebook, and this is from uh, Raymond Orozco. He says, I really liked, liked your interview with a person from ESPN, uh, with ESPN having a relationship with Univision. Do you think that you might see Liga Mekis games on ESPN? I really like the diversity that ESPN puts on their soccer broadcasts. It really is a reflection of the American soccer fans. So two things here. One is that uh, ESPN in the past had the rights to Liga Mekis games, used to be on, I think, Friday nights or Thursday or Friday nights. Used to have Dan Thomas uh, commentating some of those games in English. Um, that's a, a number of years ago now. Uh, I thought that those were a great idea, but for whatever reasons, uh, maybe maybe Univision I mean, came in and said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll acquire those rights, those English language rights, for a lot more than what ESPN is getting. Plus, on the other hand, it might have been ahead of its time in terms of uh, ESPN putting these games on a few years ago. Well, if you tried it now, it might be a little bit more receptive to getting uh, better ratings. And then the second thing, too, I think um, where Raymond says about ESPN having a great diversity on their, um, on their shows and on their coverage, I completely agree. Uh, and that's something that, that Fox 
is desperately lacking. Uh, we'll have to wait and see about the World Cup if they try to change that uh, with having, you mean, having minorities or, or, or females or uh, others on these sets. But uh, I think ESPN's doing a great job there. And any additional thoughts on that one, Kartik? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think ESPN is doing a great job there. And um, they... Uh they, they, as we talked about earlier in the week, or on the website, and check out the article, they actually had more viewers for their um, post-World Cup draw show than uh, than Fox did, the, yeah. the rights holder. Yeah, double, double in fact. And, and if you get a chance, listeners, uh, check that out. Kartik's got a great story on the homepage of worldsoccertalk.com where he uh, asks the question, I mean, will people be tuning in to ESPN for their World Cup coverage instead of Fox, especially kind of the studio coverage? post-match because uh, uh, regarding their talent that they have, there's uh, some, at this point in time, much better talent with a lot uh, better analysis. So if you have any questions for us or or feedback or uh, anything you want to comment on, let us know. We'd be more than happy to read those out on air. You can reach us through email, which is web at worldsoccertalk.com. You can tweet us at wsoccertalk or hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk.com. And you can message us there. Now, Kartik, moving on to our feature topic of the week. And that is a question. It's a discussion of what leagues can do to become more relevant in the United States, uh, particularly Major League Soccer. And uh, whether or not Major League Soccer TV ratings, as we've discussed in this show and many other shows in the past, whether or not they could improve um, with or without promotion relegation. What are your thoughts? It's difficult. I don't know how they improve what pro rel or some more context to the games. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, to me, it's one of those things that you look at the current state of affairs and you look at Major League Soccer uh, without promotion relegation. Uh, are those ratings uh, growing or are they stagnating or are they dropping? And it, it depends what you look at. If you look at uh, ESPN, ESPN numbers through the regular season were down slightly. Uh, for the playoffs, they were up. Uh, for the final, again, compared to 2015, they were up a little bit. Uh, so they're doing okay. But if you look at the entire season as a whole, I mean, to me, Major League Soccer, from the TV ratings perspective, is uh, plateauing, uh, if not uh, dropping slightly. Uh, I mean, if you look at the numbers, I mean, putting more games on Big Fox, putting more games on Big Univision over the air, that's going to boost those numbers and artificially uh, inflate those numbers too so that at the end of the year, there might be a slight increase of maybe 1% or maybe 2%. But in that, that's in isolation. That's just looking at Major League Soccer as, as a whole. But when you compare that to Liga Mekis, when you compare that to the Premier League, you mean to me, Major League Soccer should be getting much bigger ratings um, than, than, a lot of the, than a lot of other leagues. And, and that's not happening. And that's, I mean, they, they need to be more competitive. They have more promotion than any other league in the United States. So, you mean, you, you see the Premier League coverage on um, NBCSN. Um, but for the Major League Soccer, you've got Fox, you've got Univision, you've got ESPN promoting it heavily. And, and actually going back to the question that uh, in a listener mailbag where Josh mentioned that uh, – he was disappointed with the lack of uh, advertising for the MLS Cup final. I, I would say it's com- the complete opposite, if anything. If ESPN went way out of the way to really promote this game. And you have three major networks in the United States, the three biggest sports networks in the United States, pushing Major League Soccer. 
you mean week in, week out, even during Champions League games, even during Bundesliga games, at any opportunity, and they've been doing this now for a few years. So the expectations are that, I mean, why should be much greater in in regards to Major League Soccer TV ratings. Like, why aren't they closing the gap with the Premier League? Why, why, why? And and to me, Kartik, I mean, I, I have to go back to promotion relegation, and I think that's the reason that's limiting MLS's growth on the TV rating side is by instituting that, if you instituted promotion relegation, automatically it would make the entire season more interesting. Because most listeners, myself included, I'll tune into Major League Soccer for opening weekends and maybe the second week. By the third week, I've lost interest. And I'll tune back in, unless I come across it by... by uh, by chance, but I'll come back to Major League Soccer usually, usually at the end of uh, end of July or beginning of August, uh, where it's the the race for the playoffs to see who qualifies. And with this 2017 season, we saw that more than 50% of the teams qualify for the playoffs anyway. So, and then you got the playoffs in I mean, September, October. They're up against you mean college football and NFL, and then you've got the final that's played in what. Uh, in the middle of December, I mean, weeks and weeks and weeks after the actual playoffs have, have even started. So to me, if you did that institute promotion relegation, it's more likely that people would tune in to watch Major League Soccer games from March all the way through till August. And, and that's the big gap that Major League Soccer is missing out on. Why bother watching? What's the incentive to watch Major League Soccer games when most of those teams are going to qualify for the playoffs anyway? Um, and there's, there's no threat of relegation. So if you're watching a game between two teams that are probably not going to make it into the playoffs, what's the point of watching that game from a TV viewing perspective when you can tune into um, you know, any, any league around the world and see promotion relegation, see relegation battles that take on huge importance? That game is, you mean, in terms of one goal, can make such a massive difference. In Major League Soccer, if you finish bottom of the Major League Soccer uh, table, like LA Galaxy did this season, uh, what's the consequence? Nothing. Nothing changes. So, I mean, I mean Kartik, do you, do you agree or do you disagree? What's your thoughts on this one? Well, I don't know how you change the content, how you change the relevance, because the season has to be the length it is for the players who play in Major League Soccer, who are also playing internationally, to continue to develop, to play uh, at a high level, uh, to get enough games, get enough uh, uh, reps in. Uh, have a training for a long enough period of the season as mandated by the collective bargaining agreement to um, to be successful. And so if you shorten the season or you do something funky with the tournaments, I think that you have to renegotiate the CBA. It is a really complicated thing. My solution has always been to shift the calendar because I think that's just good for the American player. That's good for player development. That's good for lining up transfer windows. Uh, I think that's good for initiating promotion and relegation because you can't have mismatched transfer windows and have pro well and then expect the team that gets relegated or or newly promoted team to be able to compete, right? Um, if the windows aren't aligned. So uh, all of this is a factor, but, I mean, we can critique the MLS regular season and lack of relevance all day long. Uh, the, the problem is um, there are other factors in this, and I don't, ha- I don't have a solution. I mean, I think promotion and relegation is the most logical solution. If, you're gonna, if pro-rel is taken off the table, I don't, I don't know how we do it, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, the first thing you have to do is change the calendar. And um, once the change of the calendar is made, that will align things uh, better uh, to make additional changes. 
But Kartik, I look I look back to this uh, this past MLS Cup season, uh, MLS season, and I really think that. Um, you mean, imagine if there was promotion relegation. Imagine how many more people would, would be tuning in to watch Major League Soccer games on a Saturday night or on, on a Sunday afternoon uh, rather than tuning those out. I mean, there's most, most of the soccer fans in the United States are really not watching Major League Soccer unless it's your team, unless you're an Orlando City supporter and it's an away game and you want to watch your team play. But outside of that, you mean there's very little interest. Why is there very little interest? Because there's very little relevance uh, in these games, what, what does it matter to watch? You mean whoever is playing uh, Real Salt Lake against uh, LA Galaxy? If it has more, it has no meaning to to the league. So, so to me, Kartik, I think it really, you really have to look at that. And I think Major League Soccer really, I mean, unless they want the the ratings to be the way that they always are, and they're happy with that. And uh, I mean, you really, I think, have to institute promotion relegation. Now, to me, the big question is: Okay, how do you institute that? And uh, that's not an easy solution either. Uh, to me, my, my idea is to have a, what's, what happens, oh, uh, used to happen in, in England, where they used to have a, you'd have to reapply, you'd have to apply for re-election. So if you're finished at the bottom of the, what is now uh, League Two, and uh, what was previously the, the fourth division, if you beca- uh, finished last in that, in that uh, league, that bottom league, the professional league, you would have to apply for re-election, which meant that uh, you had had to apply to, I guess at the time, the FA, um, to, to stay in that league. And meanwhile, in the non-league conference, the team that finished top would uh, try to get promoted uh, to that league. But having re-election, that looks at everything from, is that is that club financially secure to stay up in that league? Uh, number two, I mean, in terms of uh, stadium, in, in terms of everything, in terms of what's happening in that ground, are they, you mean, is, is their stadium uh, okay to be able to continue playing in that league? Or looking at the team from the conference, from the non-league division, is the team that finishes top, I mean, are, financially are they secure uh, doing the due diligence to see, okay, can, if they moved up, would that uh, be beneficial? And also, is their stadium ready? And the same thing happens with D2 in the United States. is because you look at, say, the San Francisco Deltas and how they uh, won the NESL season at the end. Financially, are they secure enough to move up to Major League Soccer? Uh, from the stadium perspective, would they have been okay to move up? And in both those areas, I think they would have failed those tests and they would not have been able to actually promote, get promoted to Major League Soccer. Meanwhile, LA Galaxy probably would have stayed in that division. So, so that's one idea to make a way to have the gap between promotion and relegation from D2 to D1 is have some type of process in between where the decision makers, and it's, it's a fair and balanced decision making process to determine whether or not the club in the lower league is able to move up and to, be, uh, to sustain themselves. And, um, and if they can, then they can move up and the team that finished this bottom of D1 can move down. Whether or not that will happen, Kartik, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, this USSF presidential campaign probably is going to have a, a big impact on that, or a big say on that. But, but that, those are my thoughts, and, and I think there's a way to make this uh, happen, and I think there's a way to make uh, Major League Soccer TV ratings improve uh, with promotion and relegation. 
Yeah, I, I agree. With promotion and relegation, there is. Uh, again, I think, and you and I disagree on this. We, we, we had this discussion, what, two and a half months ago on the show. I believe soccer is still a niche sport in this country. I think the ratings very much play that out. Uh, it's difficult. It's like pulling teeth even to get a Premier League game over a million viewers. It, it's uh, especially difficult with Major League Soccer. So um, within that niche, promotion and relegation does give you the – maximum potential that uh you have now and actually if you have promotion and relegation in the u.s based league you might attract some new uh general sports fans to, to the product uh, major league soccer's problem though uh overall has been their their contradictory you know kind of back and forth and don garber contradicts himself all the time i mean his interview with taylor tolman contradicted uh, in in some points the uh, interview we'd given the last television interview i'd seen him give so um Taylor 12 minute interview that aired at halftime of the uh, MLS Cup I'm referring to. But I think that there is this issue where MLS is caught between two worlds. At one hand, they want to be as genuine to the world of football as they can be. That's why their playoffs here, playoff, uh, playoffs run so long because they want to do two legs. They want to, um, have the away goals rule and, and all of that stuff. Uh, at the same time, they try and appeal to American sports fans with some of the things they do, with the way they market the sport. So I think from a competitive standpoint, competition standpoint, they've very much been trying to um, to Europeanize or, or, or uh, globalize the way they play the game. And they feel like maybe they can appeal to Premier League fans and Bundesliga fans and Liga Mekis fans that way. While the way they market the sport is like the NFL or the NBA or the Major League Baseball. Um, and being caught in between these two worlds, I think they're satisfying neither um, base and that reflects in the television ratings. Maybe they go hard in on one or the other. Now, if they go in hard in on the American sports fan, they still may have trouble because of because that then links you directly still as they've linked in their marketing to the U.S. men's national team, and that right now is not um, that's not the identification you want at this specific point in time. Um, and, and based on their coaching hires and uh, increased foreign players in the league, it's probably wise to go the other way. Now, if you're going to maximize the other way, you need to you need to have pro rail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, uh, going back to what you said about, uh, w- and we had a uh, really heated d- debate. If you go back several podcasts between whether a soccer is a niche sport or not, I still say it's not a niche sport because you look at even this past weekend, you got. Five million viewers that tuned in for the Liga Mekis final. You had, um, what, 1.4 million for the Manchester Derby. You had 1.1 million for the uh, MLS Cup final. And then you had uh, other big numbers too. But with soccer, there's so many matches on. There's so many different leagues. There's so many different broadcasts. If you combined all those numbers into one, or, or in, into, you mean, into, into half of that or a quarter of that, you would see how big the sport is in the United States. And there's a ton of people that watch it. It's not like NFL where there's you mean X number of games on uh, on, on a Sunday. You mean, imagine fitting trying to fit in all the soccer games on, on a Sunday. You couldn't do it. There's just too much going on. So I still think that uh, soccer is not a niche sport in this country. What is a niche sport in this country is Major League Soccer, and that is the biggest concern. Major League Soccer has gone down the NFL model, and uh, like you said, too, Kartik, they're kind of caught in between where they want to appeal to the soccer fan, uh, but they also want to appeal to, you know, kind of the casual sports fan. And I don't, I don't think the casual sports fan is that interested. The diehard, not even the diehard, just the soccer fan in the United States could be interested in Major League Soccer, but they're not interested in it right now with it uh, having no promotion relegation because what's the relevance? 
Uh, now, we can go on and on about this debate, Kartik, um, but listeners, too, if you do have any feedback, if you agree with us, disagree with us, let us know. We'd love to read out those comments on air on the next podcast. And again, you can hit us up uh, through Twitter, Facebook, or email. Now, Kartik, this is our last show before the holidays. Uh, we'll be back strong uh, in the beginning of January uh, 2018 with more episodes coming. Uh, but in the meantime, where can listeners find you on the internet if you want to find out your latest interviews or latest articles or uh, your, your feedback? Find me at KKFLA737 on Twitter, and I'm getting beat up by both sides, you know, on, the, on Twitter constantly, the pro and anti-MLS side. I mean, it's crazy. I think I get the sense that so many of these people on Twitter don't actually watch football because during football matches is when they're engaging in this, um, yet they all pass themselves off as experts on the sport. Uh, there I there I go. I've offended half of you uh, out there, but KKFLA737 on Twitter. Okay, well, thanks for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, AudioBoom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. And if you like the show, share it with your friends on social media. And uh, we'd love to get a review from you on iTunes, uh, whether you like the podcast or not. But definitely the more feedback, the better. In Kartik, over this holiday period, this festive period, uh, what should they do? Enjoy your football. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number 1 best-selling Andaria algae body oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy glowing skin for summer with clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com.